This episode of The Candid Frame is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website or online portfolio. For a free trial and 10% off, go to squarespace.com and use the offer code CANDIDFRAME10 to get 10% off and help support the show. Thanks to your financial support, you can now download and enjoy the Candid Frame on your favorite portable device. Whether you're using iOS, Android, or Windows 8, you can download the free app on your smartphone or tablet. Each new episode can be streamed on your device or mark it as a favorite and download it. Search for the app on your device or click the links on the Candid Frame website. Hi, this is Ibarian X, and welcome to another season of The Candid Frame. 2014 makes this our eighth year, providing frank conversations with the world's best established and emerging photographers. We've had some wonderful conversations over the last few years, and this year won't be any different. While we'll be bringing some new things to the show and the website in the, in the coming months, you can always count on TCF to provide you the most insightful and inspirational conversations on the topic of photography. Your support and the fact that you regularly listen to the show when there are so many other programs to listen to or watch is not lost on me, which makes me want to put my all in making this show as good as it can be. So just as the show hopefully makes a difference in your creative life, you have helped to completely transform mine, and, and I can't thank you enough. Well, last week, I attended New Media Expo in Las Vegas, which is a trade show revolving around blogging, podcasting, and more. I met a lot of great people, one of whom uh, is the brother of today's guest. There are so many photographers that I've interviewed who are primarily self-taught. And while there are some great college and university programs dedicated to photography, I'm always interested in hearing the stories of those who haven't followed the obvious path and, and have somehow managed to create a photographic career. Today's guest, Mark Hemmings, has done just that. And he's not only a photographer, but also a director of photography, working with motion as, as adeptly as he works with stills. Based in New Brunswick, Canada, he and his brother Greg are part of Hemmings House, which is one of the largest and most successful multimedia companies in his region. Like you, his, his journey as a photographer began very simply and, and was encouraged by people recognizing that he had a good eye and that he was capable of doing something really special with a camera. So join me in my conversation with Mark Hemmings. Well, Mark, uh, happy new year and welcome to uh, the Candid Frame. I'm, I'm real pleased to uh, to have the chance to interview you for the show. Well, thank you so much. Uh, this is a real honor. And, you know, by going through the amazing amount of interviews you've had in the past, um, it's a, it is a real honor to be with, with you talking and I do appreciate it. Yeah, I met your brother Greg while I was attending, uh, attending the New Media Expo in uh, Las Vegas. And mm. I really enjoyed the conversation and he had mentioned your work and I took a look at it and I thought, wow, this would be a good person to talk to for the beginning of the year. Uh, not just because you're a great photographer, but it seems like you have your hands in a, in a variety of different 
visual arts from, you know, doing video to working with Instagram. And I, I like uh, the diversity that I see there. And, but I wanted to start because it's an, I've interviewed husband and wife teams that work mm-hmm. together in collaboration, but I've not really interviewed siblings that I can remember. <laughs> and, and, and I, to me, that's kind of an unusual that, that siblings not only share a similar passion for a, a visual art, but they actually work together. And I'm wondering, did that come from something in your family or is it just genetics? <laughs> Uh, that's a very interesting question, and uh, we do get asked, I, I believe, uh, quite a bit. And when I look through the family line, I see um, certain aspects of, uh, you know, one aspects of our family line being left brain, the other being right brain, and certain qualities that go through the family lines that have sort of, sort of produced Mark Hemmings and Greg Hemmings. My dad has a, a very, very good logical and concise way of presenting himself to the world. I believe that my mom gave me a sense of composition and uh, that creative spark. My grandfather was also, in a way, a photographer. So uh, it did come down to uh, a good mix, I believe, uh, a good 50-50 mix of the left and right brain that is sort of required for, you know, to be able to handle the technical aspects of a craft but also to uh, have that freedom of the soul to produce the, the aesthetic side of the craft. Did you find that you took to it seriously fairly early or did that come, that come later? Well, it's, it's an interesting story because I'm, I guess as you say, a late bloomer because I actually didn't really even pick up a, a camera until after university. Um, prior to that, of course, as anyone would, I had a, a little point and shoot. That was, the, of course, film back then. And I would take it on little trips and, and so on. But I never really saw myself uh, being interested in photography as a career or even as an art form. Back then, uh, I was more interested in adventure sports, to be honest, like snowboarding, uh, skiing, mountain biking, anything that would, uh, you know, produce a sense of physical euphoria through doing something dangerous, much to the uh, it was a very real problem area for my mom being, uh, being very motherly and wanting her son to stay alive. <laughs> what happened, it was, it was very, fairly interesting for me, is um, when I finished university, I was hired by my local university to go to Japan for five weeks to bring back Japanese ESL students. And ESL is uh, English as a second language. So uh, I said, yes, that what a great opportunity to um, have such a cool job. So, of course, I wanted to take a camera with me, but I wanted something a little bit better than just a plastic throwaway camera that I was used to. So at that time, my grandfather at that point was, I would say, in the later stages of Alzheimer's. So he really wasn't too present uh, mentally. But what he did do was um, he said, well, take my camera. I said, oh, well, okay," Because, you know, I, of course, knew he would never need the camera again. And he probably knew that as well. So I went up to his room and he gave uh, me a Nikon EM. And do, do you ever recall the EM? Oh, yeah, I certainly do. Yeah. So it was a, it was a very interesting model because it, it was sort of halfway between a fully manual and it sort of had half auto features. And I thought, well, you know what? I'll give it a try. What I really wanted to do, I didn't want to take um, negative film for this reason. My parents, and I, I do credit them for this, is they loved 
showing slides uh, on, on the old Kodak projector. So once in a while, we'd get uh, the carousel out and put it on the, the, the projector, and we'd have an evening of looking through you know, old Kodachromes or whatever they shot back then in the 70s or 80s, and of trips, you know, the trips uh, to Hawaii or, or South Carolina, anything, anything that the family did, they would shoot with slide film. So it was uh, always, you know, uh, growing up, my brother and I, uh, I guess we would appreciate the film, uh, the slide film days, uh, because of those fun moments with, with family looking at slides. So I said, you know what, on this trip to Japan, I am going to buy slide film only and see what happens. Now, the big, the big caution that was given to me at the camera store being a new, uh, absolutely new at photography as well. You know what? Slide film's dangerous because the latitude is, um, it, it's not nearly as great as negative film. So they say you should just get, you know, a nice, uh, easygoing negative film because if you make a mistake in exposure, you know, it's okay because the printing lab can deal with it. But a slide film, that's a bit trickier. You know, you have, you, ha- you get the exposure and you get it right. Another thing, they said is the expense, you know, you have to be really careful about every shot that you take because, you know, it's expensive to develop slides. And okay, well, I got that, you know, drilled into me fairly well. So my, I had like one week to get ready, you know, to learn to be a photographer uh, before this trip to Japan. So I, uh, I immediately got all the magazines I could. And in Canada, you know, there's, uh, we, get, we get all the American magazines, which is great. Um, but we also get a magazine, uh, I don't know if you've run into it, called Photo Life. And Photo Life is uh, a very good Canadian uh, photography magazine. And uh, so I, I got a few copies of that and just tried to learn as much as I could uh, prior to me taking off. So I got to Japan. You know, I, I got out with the camera, the Nikon EM, and uh, I really, uh, really started to fo- enjoy photographing Tokyo uh, as well. The, the next stop was uh, a place in Japan called Nagano. And you'll remember Nagano being the place of the uh, Olympics, the Winter Olympics. That's the location uh, that we went to next. And I was just amazed at how beautiful the mountains were. And, you know, they call them the, the Nagano Alps because they look similar to the Swiss Alps. So I think that my love for nature photography, and I, I must say that I'm not, uh, I'm not well-versed these days in nature photography. Back then, nature photography was, was birthed uh, from being in the Nagano Alps the, in Japan. Just beautiful. There was snow on the top. It was in a lovely time of spring. The cherry blossoms were falling. And as you can imagine, uh, you know, just a beautiful scene. Not only that, but if anyone's been to Japan in the mountains, you get the the wonderful glory of being in an outdoor hot spring because they're everywhere, the hot springs. And so you go to a wonderful inn, you wear a kimono, you go into the hot spring and it could be snowing outside and the snow is falling on your head and you're in this nice warm, warm, warm water and it's just a real treat. And uh, when I got back from the, that Japan trip, uh, I had no idea what the, the slides were going to be like. You know, these days with digital, it's, uh, you know, instant. Uh, but back then, there was a bit of a nervousness because, you know, sometimes you had to wait a week, depending on where you lived, to get your slides developed. But when I got them back, it was like Christmas. And I'm sure that your listeners would appreciate that feeling that you get when you, when you either went to the, the camera store, the photo lab, or 
or it came back in the mail and you just tore open the slides or you tore, tore open the prints and said, you know what, this is, uh, this is my creation from a week ago or whatever. Did you feel that the images, when you looked at them, accurately captured how you felt? Well, yes. When you were there or did you feel disappointed with the photograph? I was thrilled. I was amazed because I said, where did this come from? I, I don't know a thing about photography, you know, except one week's worth. I was so careful with exposure, you know, but knowing that they would, they would probably be terrible photos. They were so good, you know, relatively speaking back then for, for my experience. So anyway, a, uh, a couple days later, all of the ESL recruiters got together. There was probably about nine of us and some of them went to Thailand, some went to Singapore, some went to China. We had the Japan one and I think a couple other countries. We all did a slideshow just for fun, had some, you know, just a nice little uh, party. And the others in my group, uh, they were all seasoned amateur photographers and they were just amazed. They said, Mark, these photos are amazing. You should become a photographer. And those words... I think uh, were the words that went deep into my soul, as it were, said, you know what? I think they're right. It was a light went on. And prior to that, I had no idea what I do with my life. You know, I studied philosophy. I was, I was thinking, well, I'm good at this. I could, my professors really liked me. Uh, I could become a, get my PhD, become a professor of uh, philosophy at a university, but it didn't sing that idea didn't sing out to me in the way that that this new idea of photography sang out you know wow what a great thing and just to hear the comments from the other photographers saying you know we've done this since uh, junior high and our photos we never get photos like that that was a defining moment in my career and since then uh, you know I can always trace back uh, the beginning to uh, I guess my grandfather and, uh, you know, the, the return from Japan. I can't help but think that, that that moment of recognition that you had when you were with those other ESL students was sort of tied into those nights when you and your family would sit around looking at slides. Because I, mm. I think that for, at least for myself and a lot of other photographers that end up making photography a big part of their lives, either as really dedicated amateurs or, or as, as professionals, that, that, that the passion for photography often comes, it's rooted in not only the creation of great photographs, but in the reaction of people to our photographs. Because I know for myself, I found that people responded to me very differently as a result of seeing photographs that really struck them emotionally, that mm. made them give voice to like, you know, someone saying, wow, that looks great is, mm -hmm. is something that I would never get personally, mm. you know. But mm -hmm. through my photographs, I was able to express something about myself and get that reaction. And I think that that somehow, and maybe I'm reading a little bit into it, but I appreciate what your, you know, your, your response to that, that somehow that that passion for photography is sort of intrinsically tied to that reaction, both when you were a kid watching the slideshows, as well as later in your life when you were, you know, sharing your images with the, uh, those people with the ESL program. Yes. Yeah. That's, that's certainly the case. And, 
And it's also another factor that would that plays into that as well. And is what are you a, an extroverted person or are you an introverted person? And you know, we're talking about my brother and I. Greg is, uh, as you as you found out at NM, NMX, very much an extrovert, and he just really loves being being out there with people. But myself, I'm more introverted. Certainly, come to terms with that, and I I think that you know you're talking about. Um, when people see your work, it's an interesting dynamic to read uh, people's reactions and how do they relate to you and how do they relate to me if they've seen my photography first as opposed to meeting me first and then finding out I'm a photographer. It's a very interesting discussion and I think it <laughs> it opens up a, a huge discussion uh, that could go on for hours. But, you know, the, the thing about the parents or whatever environment you grew up in shaping and molding you there's so much value in coming from uh, a place where the generations in the past have sort of blazed the trail even remote even in a small small way and uh, the little gifts that the past generations uh, have passed down to to us and now that I'm doing to my children you know, that's the stuff that, you know, the stuff that makes life enjoyable and puts a smile on your face. So how did you basically train yourself as a photographer? Because when I look at your work, you, you cover a wide uh, range of genres of photography, from travel to, to people to architecture. And it mm. seems like you're really adept in, in, in all of those. Not, not, uh, not even mentioning what you do in terms of uh, being a director of, of photography. So you didn't have any formal training, but how did you basically school yourself into making, being able to make good pictures consistently? Well, that's uh, it's an interesting scenario because I think it's very similar to your situation because I, uh, I was listening to one of your interviews and, and you said that not so much workshops, not so much training, but books is how you mm -hmm. learn. Is that an accurate yeah, assessment? absolutely. For me, uh, very similar, but it was magazines. I'm from New Brunswick, Canada, which is on the East Coast. It's uh, a small province. It's actually um, borders Maine. And the Maine culture, we, I think we share it. You know, we don't have all that much access to the, the world of, let's say, established photography or whatever. All I had access to, to be honest, at that point that I knew of was magazines. So I would just eat up. Any photo magazine that I could find, you know, I had a limited budget as a young, young person and I would, you know, go around to my house selling things just to buy another magazine or another roll of film. And it was funny because um, I had, I don't even remember what it was now, if it was a Swiss army knife or something or maybe baseball cards. And I said to my brother, hey, Greg, do you want to buy uh <laughs> do you want to buy a Swiss Army knife? And he said, why? <laughs> and I said, well, I, I want to get another roll of uh, slide film. And he laughed at me and he had more money than I did because he was uh, working lawn mow uh, mowing lawns. And he said, Mark, I'm going to give you the money. <laughs> so he gave me cash. I went out and bought my next roll of addiction, which is another roll of slide film. Yeah, that's uh, and that's the kind of uh, brother that I have, and uh, we we get along great. And but you know, it, like like for you, for books, for me, it was the magazines. And you know, then I started to get a love for architecture and so on. So then I would buy, 
you know, architectural magazines like or design magazines like Azure or Dwell or, you know, uh, a host of others that I found wallpaper found interesting. And so, you know, it's true. I had no formal training. Um, it just I, I think it was uh, something that was already in me from maybe generational lines or part of my soul. But, uh, you know, the good mix of the technical from my dad and the good mix of the aesthetic from my mom, I think made, a, uh, if I may be so bold to say, a winning combination. Mm. So what was, the, what was the story behind you actually beginning to charge for your work and, and trying to eke out a living uh, from it? Because you said you, you came to it after university. And then at that point, you, you got to start putting food on the table and, and keeping a roof over your head. And mm. it's so easy to get to let life in a normal job sort of seep the momentum from mm. any desire to be a creative artist for, for a living. So, you know, how did you manage to be able to do it? Because I think there are a lot of young people who want to have that, but mm -hmm. for whatever reason are unable to make it manifest in their lives. So, what, you know, what allows you to be able to, to do that? What's the story behind that? To be on, completely honest, it was a, a struggle. Uh, and I think that every, except for a few rare exceptions, uh, most all photographers will say, yeah, it was very hard, you know, first five years, maybe, who knows, depending, maybe first 10 years. But I, I will, I want to give a shout out to my wife, Susan Hemmings, because uh, she was the one who carried the income in her, because we get married uh, fairly early, I guess. Uh, and she was able to, you know, carry us through while I was learning my craft. And, you know, you make, let's say you make a thousand dollars. Well, you have to buy a new lens because you don't have a wide angle. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So I, I was, I, I'm very happy that that could have happened. And, but uh, the first, the, when I got back um, from my first trip to Japan, I said, you know, this is good. Uh, let's let's go for it. So I learned everything I could. The the interesting thing is that a couple of weeks later, I got a call from uh, friend Andrew Tidby. He said, "Hey Mark, do you want to work on a movie?" And I said, "Well, sure. Tell me about it." And he said, "Well, I heard that you're you're starting to become a photographer, and uh, or maybe he he said you are a photographer." And they need a location scout photographer for this Hollywood movie that's being shot in New Brunswick. So at that time, because of tax credits, a lot of Hollywood companies came up to east east coast of Canada to shoot uh, films because it was so inexpensive for them to do so. Not only was labor cheaper, but the, the province of New Brunswick gave a very good tax credit for all productions coming in. I said, sure. So I knew nothing about movies. Uh, you know, of course, I watched movies, but I knew nothing about being on a movie set or a movie production. I took the Nikon EM that was still rocking. And so I had got a still was using the old Nikon lenses. And my job, because I was a local, was to go around St. John, my city, and find appropriate locations for the movie. And I actually really enjoyed it because, for one, I knew my city very well. And, of course, the outside, uh, the outside production doesn't know it. So they always hire locals to do the uh, photography. So I came back with, uh, you know, a ton of prints of various buildings, streetscapes, uh, 
nature scenes, anything that they needed to shoot this uh, this movie. And at that point, any job that I had prior was, I think minimum wage back then was maybe $6. So uh, the, the jobs that I had back then were, would be $6. And I worked at um, Sam the Record Man and a few other little little jobs that uh, you know a student would work at. Anyway, when I walked in there, and uh, for the interview to the production company, these guys, there was a different world. You know, I'm from very small New Brunswick, and here are these these big personalities from Los Angeles, <laughs> and it was the. It was walking into the twilight zone for someone, you know, who had little, limited experiences to, to the world. So anyway, they said, so what's your rate? And I said, what do you mean? Well, what's your rate? And I had no idea what he's talking about. And, he's, and, and then he said, how much do you charge? And I said, I don't know. <laughs> and anyway, so he said, well, how about 125? And I didn't know. I thought he meant a week. And I said, well, sure, that'd be great. He meant a day. <laughs> I said, are you, what? And I was just dancing on the inside. I was so excited. I never dreamed of $125 a day back then. You know, that was outstanding. And to be a photographer doing that. That was uh, a real uh, pivotal moment in my career. And uh, then, you know, it, there was a, quite a few of those uh, during those times, um, productions that came up. And we actually had, uh, you know, fairly established names uh, like William Hurt, Juliet Lewis, and uh, quite a few other people who came up to do these movies. And uh, I worked on them. And uh, St. John, it's interesting. Why would they come here? Well, that's for your for your listeners. The reason they came here is because... We had a, uh, what's called the Great Fire of St. John um, in the 1800s, and our city was destroyed. It was leveled. But guess who rebuilt it? Boston and New York architects. The uh, whole city. Okay. The whole city is, uh, at least the center core, is, is you know, you, you walk down our Prince William Street, you could be walking, you know, uh, in Manhattan in the, with the brownstones. They're identical. It is such a, an uncanny resemblance because they were the same architects. So they would finish a job, uh, you know, in Boston or whatever, and they would come up here and help us rebuild our city. So it's a very attractive little city. And uh, it really, the production companies loved it because they could replicate Boston and New York. Plus, we have a lot of Victorian homes. So it, it was very useful for, for the companies to come up here. And now I'd like to take the time to thank our sponsor, Squarespace. Well, it's 2014, a brand new year and a brand new opportunity for you to take the next step with your photography. If one of your New Year's resolutions was to create a website for your photography, you can mark that off your checklist in just a couple of hours by creating your website using Squarespace. Very quickly, you'll see your images showcased in a beautiful and professional way. All you have to do is gather your best photographs and insert them into any number of the great templates that Squarespace has to offer. But it doesn't end there because you can customize any aspect of your site to make it fit your own unique vision. And it's all done using the simplest 
drag and drop interface you'll ever experience. But try it for yourself and move on to your next goal in 2014. No credit card is required. When you decide to sign up for Squarespace, just make sure to use the offer code CANDIDFRAME10 to get 10% off and help support the show. Squarespace, everything you need to create an exceptional website. So, so when to, to, to jump ahead a little bit, when did you come to start working with your with your brother? You have a production company called Hemings Hemings House, yes. in which you work with your brother and several other people. Yeah. Um, so, how did that sort of come about? And and what have you liked working alongside your siblings, who's a, a filmmaker? I think that uh, as as Greg and I both had our own businesses for probably about six or almost maybe actually 10 years individually, me as a photographer and him as a, as a filmmaker, we were both in the same city and we actually both had very similar clients, if not the same. So uh, about three or four years ago, we decided, well, why don't we just combine our businesses um, and just become one big media company? You know, it was a great idea because, um, you know, overnight, we, I think we became the largest or one of the largest production companies in, in our province. It was a good move. And um, now we've, you know, branched out into audio and uh, became a pretty much a full media production company. Well, you described how your, your personalities are different. So how do you guys sort of complement each other when it comes to actually the uh, creative things? Because I know that there's things that you guys probably work on independently. Mm -hmm. But when you guys are collaborating, how is uh, the difference in your personalities help what you guys uh, are able to achieve artistically? The, the, the first thing I would say is that Greg is a very good face for the company. He's incredibly genuine in his mark, you know, in networking and and marketing. And I would sort of be more behind the scenes. And, uh, you know, I would prefer to be behind the camera, to be honest, and instead of doing the, um, the, the other necessary things for any corporation. I think having two different personalities, introverted and extroverted, it lends itself well in our situation, because we, we both fulfill a need that any corporation or any business needs to have. That's the behind the scenes people and the people who are out front in the public. You know, it's worked out well. The only danger though, I will say, and I'm sure, you know, people can appreciate this, is if you rely too much on, you know, how your personality is crafted, you can box yourself in. And I know that many times Greg has, you know, said, you know, to keep me accountable, Mark, go out there and present yourself more so that you don't fall too far into the, into the, the, the sort of the introspective side of a, of a company. And in the same manner, then, uh, you know, uh, I could say to Greg, well, rein in the, the sort of, um, how would you say it? The, uh, I don't want to say disorganization, but, you know, when you're, when you're out in the public all the time, sort of all the details may get missed a lot of the details. Mm -hmm. So it's, uh, you know, it's trying, uh, sort of working off each other, trying to, um, you know, keep the strengths alive, but also not, not, you know, fall into the trap of, uh, you know, of where your personality is. Well, I see some of the, um, 
the films that you guys have done. You guys have done stuff for television, short films, documentaries. The, the What struck me so, uh, so much about a lot of the work is just the visual aesthetic. It's just, just it's beautifully shot, all of oh, that. Oh, thanks. And, but since both of you have a uh, have an eye that's probably very unique, uh, how have you guys collectively sort of come uh, upon a a look that you feel like is representative of what you everyone everyone does collectively? Mm, I'm glad you asked that. And we have um, that look is it, it's so interesting because we have a number of great shooters in our company, and a lot of the films that you did see um, were shot by. Uh, Andrew McCormick, Lachlan O, myself, Greg, um, you know, and a few others uh, over time. Uh, we all work, you know, sometimes we're working on three or four different projects so we don't get our hands on everything. But the aesthetic came from a mutual life-changing experience with, I would say, two films. One is Hema by Sigur Ross. Have you seen that film? No, uh-uh. It really shook us when we when it came out. Sigur Ross, the um, you know, it's hard to say what kind of music they are, but it's they they created a film in Iceland that is just so visually outstanding, and it really um, is com- sort of commensurate with the music that they produce. You know, there's there's been a lot of um, films like uh, IMAX films that have really impacted us, but the. Uh, the common thread in in our our photography or films is the love of cinema over the the appreciation of video. And for those listeners who may say, "Well, what's what's the difference?" Video um, is in the past as I guess you could sort of call it plasticky in looking, mm-hmm. but but film has this richness and substance. That, you know, people on the video side, have said, you know, how do we get that? Well, to be honest, we're not big enough to work with actual film cameras. So how did we, how can we get the most out of DSLRs or how do we get the most out of, you know, like a, a red camera or, you know, a sound, whatever we're using to make it look like film? And that was our, that's been our quest for the last five or six years is to get a film look for everything that we do. And uh, if that comes out as a unified aesthetic that you can see, then, uh, well, then that's great. Yeah, I, and I think that's what I'm seeing in a lot of the work that's there. I think it's that gets lost with a lot of people. They, since the advent of, of DSLRs and, and digital capture, there's much made about the low light capability and how filmic it looks, but it's, it's more than what the camera's doing. Mm. It's so much about the lighting uh, about mm. the composition, how even the, all those images are put together and edited together. Um, yes. Yes. You're right. Sometimes I just like, sometimes there's just, there are some films like road to perdition. Mm. I think Conrad Hall is the cinematographer for that. Mm-hmm. That is one of those films that I can actually just turn off the sound and just look at it. <laughs> That's a good compliment. Not just because it's beautiful, but it just seems like it's it's it becomes a visual experience. Yes, and it's I, and I think it's always rooted in just basic principles of photography. Mm-hmm. Adding the fact that you are actually capturing time and and motion. And I think mm. that when someone's able to accomplish that, I think that's what brings 
capturing video or, or, or film to a whole new a whole new level. Mm-hmm. So you, you mentioned earlier that it was magazines that provided you the aesthetic, and you and you mentioned this one uh, this one film. But how did you sort of school yourself in being able to 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 take everything you'd learned as a photographer and translate that into capturing motion? Yeah, it's. Um, I feel that uh, a skill I have is that I'm a quick study. It's it's purely practice and passion. And I've had good mentors in in the company. Like for example. When we combined our businesses about three or four years ago, uh, I didn't know how to use Avid. Like we use Avid as our editing platform. And I just, you know, I said, hey, guys, uh, you guys are now Avid experts. Uh, Give me a crash course in this. And I edited a film uh, in a couple days. And, you know, I I just learned quickly. And, you know, I had the advantage of, of working beside very good uh, editors, um, you know, my brother Lachlan and Andrew who work for us. So it's simply that, that osmosis aspect of, uh, you know, being, being in that environment, that creative environment that, that allowed me to, uh, to learn quickly. One of the interesting things about you is that you've really embraced Instagram. Yes. And, and you also teach uh, a workshop up in New Brunswick on, on the use of Instagram. What's the allure for, uh, of that app and, you know, its role of, of a photographic tool for you Mm. and what does it allow you to achieve and do? Or what what experience do you have that's different from when you're working with a, a DSLR? Well, um, if, if, if I may, uh, I'll just back up to, uh, my introduction to Instagram, which will explain your question. About three years ago, I was uh, on a job actually working in Mexico. Uh, We were doing a a TV commercial and a a film for real estate. And I was walking uh, through the streets with my, I I think it was a, a Canon 5D Mark II at the time. And whenever I'm off, not working on a, with, for a client, I like to wander around the streets and just, you know, for my own benefit, take street photography. I don't get any money from it. It's just for my own pleasure. And I was carrying the camera with a, a large lens and something, something ba- not bad, but something hit me, sort of like an existential crisis moment. And I said, you know what? Do I really enjoy photographing with DSLRs anymore? And I'm, I'm sure that you can appreciate that, and, and their listeners, that, that there are times when you sort of, uh, either the inspiration is gone or you've done this so many times that uh, where do you get that next excitement? And, you know, I felt that my, my well was drained. So I didn't know what to do. So I just, I said, you know what? And this was only a year, year ago, by the way, a year and a half ago. You know what? I'm going to go back to my villa, leave the DSLR behind and I'm going to spend the rest of this week here in Mexico shooting only with my iPhone. <laughs> and I, this was a, a crazy idea for me because, you know, I've traveled, I've been able to travel around the world uh, doing street photography and, and jobs for whatever, whatever. And the idea of not using the best of equipment, the finest of lenses and a locked off tripod, mirror up, all that stuff. It was a really radical idea. And I knew the quality wasn't that great from an iPhone. 
but the the allure of having an imposed limitation on me, both technical, maybe not so aesthetic, but at least technical, was so attractive that as I was walking back to drop off my camera, I, I got so excited. And something came alive inside me, like inside my soul, that creative spark that said, I have a new challenge and I am going to rock this challenge and I am going to do something great. So I dropped off the camera, my DSLR, and I went out on my own time and I just fell in love with photography again. And it was such a great feeling. It is a feeling of when you're first in love. That, that was a very similar experience for me. And I wandered around the beautiful streets of a colonial, a Spanish colonial Mexican town. And I just was photographing like everything. Street photography came alive. I didn't know a thing about apps, to be honest. All I knew is that I downloaded Instagram, didn't know anything about it. So I started loading them onto Instagram and sharing them on Facebook. And I got so many compliments. And so, you know, a lot of people say, wow, that's exciting. And the instant ability to share my passion with people, with my friends on Facebook or, or whatever, without having, you know, the to go back and load them up to the computer, spend time with the raw files, blah, 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 all that, all that good stuff, which I still love. But that instant ability to share what you see to the world was such a new idea to me. So fascinating. Yeah. And it's, and it's sort of coming full circle again to the, what we talked about earlier about the sharing experience and people's mm. reactions to our photographs being a big part of why we, why we love to shoot. It's, isn't that interesting? Is yeah. that if we don't have anyone to share with what happens to our creative spark, what happens to our soul? Yeah, this you know we're humans. We're we we interact with other people. We feed off each other. We learn from each other. And when we share our passion, you know, it's it feeds other people. And uh, I got home after that trip, and at that point, uh, I'll be I'll be fairly candid here. It was I was feeling a little bit low during that season. I wasn't you know super depressed, but you know we all have those seasons. When we're not, uh, you know, not not super happy and feeling a bit low. Plus, it was, you know, in Saint John, it was cold, miserable. You know, it was muddy snow. It was just a, a cloudy time for a couple months. And I was sitting. We have a coffee shop under our studio, which is really convenient. So I was sitting at the coffee shop, looking out the window, and I said. I'm going to photograph the next person that walks by this coffee shop window with my, with my iPhone because this would be the first iPhone picture I took in my home city. So I waited a couple minutes, had my phone ready, and then this woman walks by with a huge garbage bag of who knows what. So I grabbed a shot and I said, hey, this is really fun and exciting. My camera is in my pocket you know, you can't take a DSLR with you everywhere, but you can always have a camera in your pocket with, with your yeah. iPhone. That moment was an aha moment where the whole world, <laughs> you know, that's being a bit grand, but uh, another light came on. I love my city. And previous to that, I'll, I'll be honest, I didn't like being there. 
So this new love for my own city was birthed in Java Moose Coffee Shop in St. John, New Brunswick. And uh, I must say, you know, at the end of my life, I will have X amount of pivotal moments to look back on as this was a, a life changer. And being in that coffee shop on that day was one of them. Wow, that's very cool. Yeah. And, and speaking about the iPhone, I know that you came up with, you and a friend came up with an app, an educational app for people to learn photography, which is, which is kind of cool because we talked about magazines and books and now you can actually get an kind of education on your phone. Which is which is kind of funny. Yeah. But tell us briefly about about that about that app and and how how can it serve photographers? Well, um, I'll, I'll put a shout out to Noel Chenier and his. Uh, uh, it's actually I didn't have anything to do with it, but I, I do I do promote it. But I, what I'll be doing is uh, using the app during my uh, my own workshops. But Noel Chenier is a is a great photographer in our city. And he said, you know, he, he teaches as well. And he said, I want to create an app that will give the viewers or the users of the app a new project every day. So it's a random generated project app that, you know, you plug in certain variables and it'll say, go take a picture of a bowl of eggs uh, in window light. Or something, you know, wildly diverse is go find a birch tree with backlight, you know, something like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's been doing very well. It's uh, it's on the uh, iTunes app store and it's some it's something that will spark creativity because it's telling, you know, through random generation, it's telling you or giving you ideas. Um, if you feel that you, you're you're void of, of ideas for that day, you know, if you want to get your one picture per day, uh, which is like taking your vitamins then, you know, that, that app works well. And uh, I've been promoting it as well on our workshops because it, it certainly uh, helps the creative juices flow. Oh, that's cool. I, I was looking at it this morning. I'm going to check it out. It looks like it's a, a fun app to have on the phone just, just for that reason, just to give you something to go out and, and pick up your camera and go make a photograph for. Yeah, maybe in your show notes, you, you might be able to uh, sh give a, a nod as to how to find it possibly. Yeah, certainly we'll do that. Yeah. Well, my last question that I ask each guest is I ask them to recommend another photographer mm -hmm. for our listeners to discover and explore. And it can be anyone, someone you've long admired or someone you've recently discovered. So who would that one photographer be and why? Well, that's, that is a really hard question, but um, because there's so many, uh, of course, but, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to choose local uh, for this one and choose a, uh, a Moncton New Brunswick photographer, and Moncton, by the way, is uh, just very close to our city. And uh, Denis Duquette, and that's D-N-I-S-D-U-Q-U-E-T-T-E dot C-A. And he, uh, he's a really interesting fashion photographer in our province, and I think uh, his work is uh, worthy of viewing. Okay, I look forward to checking it out. Yeah. But where can people go to find out more about what uh, you uh, – you and uh, your team do? Well, our website is hemmingshouse.com. And when you go to hemmingshouse.com, you will see uh, that we sort of have three product offerings, um, the films, uh, photography, and audio. And if you'd like to see my photography, just go to the second uh, link called photography. 
and you'll see my work. And also, I, I love people checking out Instagram because the Instagram feed is, um, you know, more my fun stuff and uh, my travel stuff is on Instagram and all of it's taken with an iPhone 4S. Oh, cool. Well, it was great meeting you and having the chance to talk to you. Thank you so much for making the time for me this morning. Well, no, I thank you. It was so fun. And uh, <laughs> let's do it again sometime. Okay. Thank you for joining us. You can show your continued support for the work we do here at TCF by making donations of any amount using PayPal. By clicking on the links in the show notes or on the website, your contributions help us to improve the show. Each episode of The Candid Frame is brought to you with the contributions of our audio engineer, Martin Taylor, who you can find at the other martintaylor.com. Our theme music is by Kevin McLeod, whose royalty-free music is available via incompetech.com. And this is Ibarian X, and this is The Candid Frame.